In today's episode of Two-Eyed Seeing, we'll be having our very first interview with none other than my father, Dr. Ed Connors. So stay tuned as we're going to be talking all about things around two-eyed seeing and understanding what this concept actually means. Hello, Sago, and welcome. You're listening to Two-Eyed Seeing, bridging the Western and Indigenous understanding of health, healing, and life. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Connors, naturopathic doctor and birth doula and knowledge seeker of Mohawk and European ancestry. Each week, I will be bringing you information about health and wellness from both perspectives so we can learn and grow together as we journey through life on this place we call Earth and Turtle Island. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Two-Eyed Seeing. Today we will be speaking with Dr. Ed Connors and we will be covering what two-eyed seeing is in more detail and we'll see where else we can get in our time together today. A little bit about Dr. Ed Connors. As I mentioned in the first episode, yes, we are related. (laughs) So you may hear me refer to him as dad throughout the interview, because that's what I've called him for pretty well most of my life up to this point anyway. Although he is very, very soon, as of recording this at the end of October 2020, to be a grandfather for the first time. Not by me, but by my sister. So that's a little bit about what's going on with us in this stage of our life, but a little bit more about Dr. Ed Connors and why he is a great person to speak to us about this topic. He's a trained psychologist, has practiced in the province of Ontario for most of his career. He is of Mohawk and Irish ancestry and a band member of Ganawage Mohawk Territory. He's worked with a number of our First Nations communities across Canada since 1982 in both urban and rural centres and has held numerous positions with our various organisations such as the Clinical Director for Infant Mental Health Centre in Regina, the Director of the Sacred Circle for Suicide Prevention in our north Northwestern Ontario communities as well as developing more recently a life promotion program called the Feather Carriers Program that he's been running in concert with some of his colleagues in our local area, which would be the Georgian Bay Muskoka area. He also runs, and I cannot say this properly, so he'll probably say it for you guys better than I can, Ankwa which is the name of his health practice that he runs with my mother, and provides health consultation and psychological services to our various First Nations individuals, families, and communities throughout the Georgian Bay Muskoka region. With that, I will turn it over to Dr. Connors to say anything else he'd like to say. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Miigwech. So I'll also introduce myself as I do when we gather in learning together in our communities. So as we often do, we will introduce ourselves by not only our names, but also where we're from and what our clan is. So I am Wabanong Benese Kabitwe Tang Wabanong Benese Kwekwechkan Tekumsi. Those are three names that I carry 
and I am also Wolf Clan. As Sarah indicated, we come from Ganawage Mohawk Territory. Our community is across from Montreal. And the organization that she was talking about that Donna and I run together is it's and pronounced in Mohawk as Anqua de Nero Zonha, uh, Health Planners. And uh, in English, that translates roughly into common spirits or soulmates or spirits of a similar kind. So, yeah, that name was given actually to our organization, the work that I actually did many years ago when I was starting out, just finishing high school and about to enter university. And I created a company with friends of mine where we were printing t-shirts. So all of you who know about printed t-shirts we were one of the first companies to begin to print t-shirts as we had learned to uh, do printing with silk screening uh, through our art classes in high school and thought it would be a cool way to make money to go to university and so together for the summer we began designing and printing t-shirts there were very few of those around at the time it was kind of a new concept so we uh, created this company and we were looking for a name for it and I asked my mother if she could name it and so she named it for us as Zonquin de Nero Zonha and told us then that it meant, uh, as I said, uh, soul, soulmates or common spirits, which was kind of neat because uh, they were my, some of my best friends at that time and so we gathered together, made some good money over the summer doing that and had a lot of fun doing it. And so years later, when we came to Donna, my wife and I came to this part of Ontario and decided to then establish our own health care, health planning firm, we decided to resurrect that name and use it again because it fit with the concept we had of how we wanted to share the knowledge we had of traditional healing with our communities and with other people. and. And so it came out of that that we then called it Anquadenero Zohan. And we actually work with the common understanding. It's neat because our work is such that I work with many, many different people and I've been gifted, blessed to have many teachers and many people that are really very gifted and creative people who I work with across the country. And I've learned that um, when we come together and do work collectively, we can do some pretty amazing things. And that's what I've been doing for many years, learning with different people, with these groups of people, and then bringing them together to do work together collectively on projects. But when we do this work together, we come together, as I say, as people with common spirit. We have common interests, common understandings, and a lot of common knowledge that comes out of our learning from about indigenous knowledge and the application and use of not indigenous knowledge in terms of specifically health care, health planning, and wellness. And so when we come together, we work together collectively as equals. We don't work independently or one working for the other. We work with. And so we bring together our different gifts and then contribute to the work as a whole. And we've n I've never worked with the concept of hiring people or having people work for me. It's always with that, again, coming from that concept of, of common spirit or soulmates that we, we work with that intent. And so uh, it's interesting because my mother 
was the one who saw that, visioned that, when we asked for the name, and so she named us. My mother, by the way, is still alive. She's 96, and uh, she still is enjoying life as she speaks to it, and I learned from her on an ongoing basis about how to live a long and good life. So, yeah. Now you know how the stereotype of Haudenosaunee, which speaks to Iroquois in English, and that's where the that's where our community uh, is. It's part of that you know, the Iroquois Confederacy, the Mohawks. So we're at what we call the Eastern Door, but the Mohawks and, and the Haudenosaunee are often stereotyped and known to be uh, great orators or long speakers. So when you ask us something, be prepared to get a long answer. Oh. Thanks, Dad. That's one thing I never found my dad to be short on growing up was to be short on words or short on stories, which is something we've always generally appreciated about him. But in getting more into the concept of two-eyed seeing, would you like to explain to us a little bit more how you typically teach about two-eyed seeing? Mm. Yeah, well, again, that's a, a long story. And it, it comes out of the concept originated. It, so in English, the idea of two-eyed seeing actually comes from a, an elder from the East Coast, from the Mi'kmaq people, and his name is Albert Marshall. Albert Marshall spoke about two-eyed seeing from the Mi'kmaq teachings and, and explained that what they saw as two-eyed seeing was, in their language, was the idea that you, we have the capacity now from the, through the process of colonization, we have the capacity as indigenous people to potentially now uh, see through two eyes. One eye seeing things from an indigenous worldview and indigenous knowledge, uh, the other from the colonizer or settler's view and, and knowledge. And that we can do that and we can use both eyes to determine then in collaboration then what is it that is of best interest for us um, in terms of determining what is the knowledge to follow. Sometimes it is specifically the knowledge that comes out of indigenous worldview other times there are there's knowledge that exists in the non-indigenous worldview that is also of great importance and and of value to us and then there is the knowledge that is evolving that is conceived of both forms of knowledge um, and so however um, where that comes from you have to understand the knowledge and worldviews um, so it takes us back a long ways in time, in history, uh, in terms of the human race. So if we understand how knowledge and worldviews have evolved, uh, so I say this is an easy definition of worldview, it's how we come to understand and know ourselves in relationship with uh, understanding ourselves, each other, all of creation and creator. And that it's how we then use knowledge to make meaning of life and understand uh, all those things. So that's one concept or, or definition of, of what it would be to uh, have a worldview. So there are many worldviews, obviously, and we could potentially say there are as many worldviews as there are human beings in existence. 
But there are actually some very common concepts making up specific worldviews. So when we say there is an, a specific indigenous worldview, that brings us back to way back in history for all human beings, that there was a time uh, when all when human beings on Mother Earth, which is referred to in Anishinaabe, I work with the Anishinaabe language uh, teacher, and he's fluent, and so he shares a lot of his understandings from, his, from the Anishinaabe language. And that has helped us a lot to make sense and make meaning of uh, the work that we're doing together. But one of those, the, the words in, in Anishinaabe for Mother Earth, or for the planet of Earth, is Akikwe, and that refers to our Mother, the Earth. And so, um, if we look at uh, human beings on Akikwe and the uh, evolution of human beings, we would re we recognize that there was a time when all humans on Akikwe were actually um, indigenous, meaning that they were from Mother Earth. They were from Akikwe. They were from the place where they, they came from the earth. And they came in relationship with Mother Earth then, and their way of knowing and understanding themselves, each other, all of creation and creator, evolved from that way of seeing how they were one with Mother Earth. How they were then interdependent uh, on all of the things that existed on and from Mother Earth. And so they recognized that everything was related and everything was equal, that nothing was greater than nor less than, but everything was of equality. It all connected and all was interdependent and all equally important. And they therefore developed a way of knowing and a knowledge uh, worldview that recognized that Creator uh, was part of everything, that Creator was creation, and they were therefore part of that creation. So with that worldview, for many thousands of years as human beings were developing on Mother Earth, that kind of thinking was what was predominant. But there came a time several thousand years ago when there was a big change in the way that we came to develop then our worldview. And that change came about when we began to, as human beings, discover that we could actually grow the pro different types of crops that would then sustain our lives and that we could stay in one place and not have to move around with all of the different forms of life that were supporting our lives that we could actually settle in one location and actually then, upon that land, grow what we needed to sustain our lives. And when that happened, there was a huge change that occurred in worldview. And that change began with the unders change and the relationship with Akikwe, with Mother Earth. The change that occurred was one in which the humans then started to consider that this concept of ownership they began to look at their relationship with the land as something that no longer was they were equal to and interdependent upon, 
but began to think of it as something that they owned. Ownership became then a concept that began to change the whole way of thinking about relationships, then not only with Mother Earth, but then with all of creation. And subsequently, the thinking of humans evolved into what we now refer to as hierarchical knowledge, or a perception of relationship being hierarchically ordered. And it, it, it then evolved to the, you know, the way it is today, where we actually, in that form of knowledge, have come to consider that humans are, in essence, above or greater than many other life forms, and that we have ordered those life forms in terms of significance and importance. And therefore, the relationships then became relationships of power and control. That new form of thinking is what has become predominant in the world, and it's what basically, ultimately, led to the concept of colonization. Colonization evolved because humans then not only considered themselves to actually be more important and more powerful than other life forms, but also more important and, in essence, more powerful than other human beings. They then began to think in a way that encouraged them to be colonizers, to look at different places in the world that were lived by, upon and actually had been for thousands of years by various indigenous peoples around the world as being places that they could go and claim ownership to because they actually then considered that they were entitled to because they had greater knowledge that their form of knowledge made them superior. And so that's the story that brought the settlers to what we refer to often as Turtle Island. Turtle Island being North America. If you look at Turtle Island from the great distance in space, you will see North America actually has the shape of a turtle. But we referred to it as such as that was the land that we understood to be the place that we had come from. And it was not considered that we came from other places, but rather that we came from Mother Earth, from Turtle Island. So when the settlers came to this land from across the sea, they came with that other perception, that other worldview. And when our, we have teachings that from within our Haudenosaunee uh, teachings, that are, exist within our oral history and tell the story from our perception of what happened when those people came here. And in 1613, when the Dutch actually let, settled or, and attempted to settle within the region where we have had been as, as Mohawk, in the Mohawk Valley in the New York State, what is now referred to as New York State, when we came in contact with the Dutch, we recognized, our elders recognized right off the bat that obviously they were very different from us. And they part of the difference and immediately that showed was that they came in this other type of vessel that was called, they called a ship. And we, of course, were navigating the waters around the territories in our canoes. At 
What the elders recognized was that in addition to these people having come from a ship, they came with different clothing, uh, different language, different values and beliefs, and different life practices. We recognized the differences, but we also recognized that there were commonalities. We recognized clearly that they, the elders saw that they were dependent upon the air that we breathe commonly, the waters that we drank, that the foods that we needed from the lands to sustain our lives that we had used and, and that it supported our lives for so many generations, they also needed. And these were all common factors. We knew that we had the same color of blood. So there were so many things that we saw that, that actually were in common that, that we were able to say that we recognize these are um, humans like ourselves but yet different. So in order to create the relationship necessary to live in peace upon this land, as our elders were able to see that as a vision at that time, we presented them with what we uh, referred to as a wampum belt. Wampum belts are belts that are beaded, that have different symbols within the belt, and they're made out of shells of... They're drilled beads that come from quahog shells, and they're in white and purple color. And we created then a, what we called at the time the Gaswenta or the Turo Wampum. And the Turo Wampum actually was a wampum belt that is of two rows, two rows of purple and three rows of white. Um, two outside white rows, one middle white row, two purple separated rows. And what those, it was said in the, as we gave that and presented that peace offering to them as a way to understand how to live in peace on Akikwe, what we actually uh, said was that you are, the two purple rows represented, one represented you in your, in your, in your ship and the other us in our canoe. And we said the white was representing the river of life. And it said, we're going down the river of life together. If we can continue to go down parallel to one another, then we can live in peace with one another on this land and share this land in peace. However, if one is to pass within the path of the other and interfere in the journey of the other, then we will then not be able to do so. In that teaching, it contained all kinds of information that, you know, I'm just giving you a very quick summary. But it spoke further, you know, to the idea that, uh, one, you know, although we have these differences, that we could actually, and we do recognize the commonalities. And if we begin by recognizing the commonalities, then we see that we are all human. If we put our focus first to that and attend to that, that gives us the foundation for a good friendship or good relationship. However, we could then also then recognize that we had differences. And if we could look at those differences and respect those differences, then we could truly live in peace. So friendship, you know, was based on commonality based on respecting the differences and then forming the type of friendship that would sustain peace. Unfortunately, we know what the outcome 
had had become, you know, following the sharing of that. And one of the first things that it actually indicated to us that what we were visioning and sharing was not a common vision, that it was what we were sharing, but their vision was quite different. And as I shared with you, it came from their worldview. And when we read and we came to know and be able to understand what was said in the treaty that they wrote, we saw concepts and we heard concepts that spoke not of equality because in the two row we saw we were equals, neither one being greater or less than the other. But in the treaty they spoke of that they were our fathers and they we were their children and that they would take care of us. Immediately we recognized then when we understood that, that their worldview was quite different. And of course, that worldview has led to the differences in terms of how we have been relating to one another, ultimately leading to the conflict and to the destruction, uh, and also to what we recognize today as having been the genocide perpetrated upon Indigenous people. So, years and years later, as we come now, you know, full circle to this place where we now are, our elders say, and have been saying for some time, we're coming to a healing time, and that we are now in that healing time. And that healing time, you know, has come about in part because, again, over time, through colonization, we have developed the ability to be able to understand the other more fully. And as we're coming to understand them and use what we recognize now and refer to as two-eyed seeing, we've recognized that we still have been able to maintain our worldview and that we've recognized the importance of our worldview. And as we recognize the importance of it and the significance of it with regards to sustainability of life on Akikwe, or the sustainability of, in particular, human life, we've come to a place where we've come to recognize that what we have to share in our knowledge is not only of equal importance, but probably of greater importance with regards to sustainability. If we want to survive as humans on Mother Earth, we need, indeed, to be able to, at the least, be able to use the knowledge that comes from two-eyed seeing. But most significantly, we need to understand the power and the importance of indigenous knowledge to create the foundation for that sustainability. And that's the short story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Thank you for that story and for that teaching, Dad. That really does help give us, at least like you said, it's a very brief introduction to the concept of two-eyed seeing, but at least that way we can have a place to begin to really fully understand what that concept means. And as you said, the understanding our history helps us to understand where we're going and how we can move forward in terms of next steps together in equality is really what we should be aiming for. Would you say that in terms of further understanding two-eyed seeing and taking next steps as human beings living on Akikwe, Mother Earth, together, that that would be a better understanding not only of our Indigenous knowledge, but also our Western worldviews as well? Yeah. So, 
again, equally, if we understand equality, ultimately equally, both forms of knowledge have equal importance. In certain areas, uh, again, as I said, you know, certain knowledge has more applicability and more importance, but yet <laughs> the importance of the knowledge from each side balances the other. So when we talk about, for example, sustainability, much of the knowledge and the foundational knowledge that comes from indigenous knowledge actually speaks strongly to the concepts of survivability, sustainability. It speaks to how do we um, balance our, our, our worlds so that we uh, sustain life, so we live well and we live long and good lives. There's key understandings and principles that exist within Indigenous knowledge to support that. There are other forms of knowledge that exist, that come out of non-Indigenous knowledge. Um, you know, things that have we've learned as a result of the various forms of science that we have developed through non-Indigenous knowledge. Uh, that has led us to discoveries of things that we had some idea of in in the past through indigenous knowledge, but has been built on and expanded on through non-indigenous knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those things are, have to do with, you know, how to maintain and sustain life. Um, you know, when we, for example, are you know in chronic conditions and and threatened, our our continuation of life is threatened. And, you know, some of those, those the, the knowledge, for example, comes out of the, the sciences of, of healthcare, it's surgery, for example. Um, you know, I think of, you know, sometimes people will go, will get a little bit uh, unbalanced in their thinking and they'll, well, about health and healthcare, and they'll say, oh, well, we only need, you know, indigenous knowledge and natural healing practices in order to, to live life well and live it long. And, and, you know, sometimes that can come out of the developments in naturopathic medicine, where sometimes people will go to extremes and, and advocate for, you know, only uh, natural and naturopathic medicine. I can tell you for a fact, from my own life experiences, that uh, if that were the case in our family, then my wife would probably not be here today, because uh, she had a brain tumor years ago. And there are medicines I know that can help to address things like tumors and cancer. But when it comes to a chronic condition in an extreme where life is being threatened uh, in that form, if none of those medicines that I know of would have saved her life uh, and sustained her life aside from surgery. And so surgical practices and the, all the instruments that we have that were able to detect what was there and the ability to remove it and, and sustain and prolong her life, that would not have been possible with simply natural medicines alone. So that suggests to me that if we want to live long and good lives, we need to use the knowledge that comes from both uh, what I have referred to as natural and indigenous knowledge, health and well-being, as well as what we have developed and learned from the sciences of your Western medicine. And when those two, I think, can work together, as I said, you know, when I spoke of the two row, when we can go down the river of life together, bringing both of those together into play, 
in a, in a powerful form, we can then uh, have really strong medicine and strong healing practices. So to, to envision from my understanding one without the other and to envision in such a way as, you know, one should be more powerful than the other as opposed to equal to the other is foolhardy. Thank you. That's a really good way to put it. Just so you guys know, my mom is fine. <laughs> She's doing very, very well. And like Dad said, it was definitely a combination of natural medicines or what we would, which much of it has a strong history in our indigenous communities in terms of where that knowledge and medicine came from. And it was also the life-saving surgical interventions that she received in order to come through that in a healthy way. And she now enjoys a, still a very healthy life. And both my parents uh, utilize both forms of medicine, both Western and uh, natural, as is, is needed. And just in terms of where we go from here, what would you say would be a good first step, maybe for someone who's really trying to wrap their head around this concept of two-eyed seeing if they've never really tried to conceptualize that concept of two-eyed seeing before? Hmm. Well, it's to actually engage in these kinds of you know, discussions is the beginning. At first is to, you know, to just recognize, as we're now talking about it, that you know, these different forms of knowledge do exist to recognize the value, uh, that it is not a competition, it's not one greater than the other, but there are various forms of knowledge that we can gain, you know, many benefits from. So it's to become more open-minded to, you know, to learning about the different forms of, of medicine and healing that we actually have available to us that comes out of our, our long life, you know, histories, experiences, dating back to, you know, the beginnings of human time. You know, we've accumulated incredible amounts of knowledge, and, you know, the crazy thing is, is that we often have um, turned away from knowledge that, you know, has formed over thousands of years, uh, and, and been very effective in, in helping to sustain life and, and health and well-being. Um, but over time, we have actually often lost sight of some really important forms of knowledge. Naturopathic medicine is a good example of it because naturopathic medicine, you know, is tied to the indigenous knowledge from around the world. It, it, but it, its history, as I understand it, you know, was a, it was a, the reformation of that recognition and of that those forms of knowledge is centralized initially in Europe. But then naturopathic medicine now encompasses the indigenous knowledge from around the world. But I find it surprising that at times so many people who are engaged in naturopathic medicine often don't acknowledge or recognize you know, where that knowledge came from. Sometimes they act in ways as if you know, it's just it's new knowledge. And they don't honor and respect the knowledge in terms of where it has come from. So learning the history of medicine and medicines is extremely important. I remember years ago I was involved with a, uh, a project that was going on sponsored by the World Health Organization. 
And the project was actually, I was at that time, uh, indigenous psychologists were forming our own national organization, and, but we were small in number. So the physicians, indigenous physicians, invited us, because they were greater in number, invited us to join with them in conferences. And so we had been doing that. Uh, and so that through that relationship, they were invited to um, meet with representatives from the World Health Organization uh, in these sessions around the world to talk about Indigenous knowledge. And so th the first one that I was invited to in Ottawa, and they were, they were speaking there about various forms of natural medicine, and they were talking about it and then engaging us in conversation. And I remember at that first meeting, uh, one of the things that I asked them about, because they seemed to be, again, they were looking at indigenous medicines from a biomedical perspective. And what they were most interested in, concerned about, and focused on was simply on what were the active ingredients to, to do these sort of biochemical you know, analysis of the medicines to determine what are the active ingredients and that that's all they seem to be interested in. And at that time, we, I and others pointed out to them that they will never truly understand the value and the power of the medicine if all they look at is uh, the physical components of the medicine. If they don't look again and recognize that there is spiritual component to medicines, and this is again from an indigenous worldview, then they will probably never really discover the power of the medicine because they only will know a piece of it. And so what lies within that is the understanding from an indigenous worldview that, uh, you know, to know a medicine, you need to know it, its physical properties, its mental properties, its emotional properties, and its spiritual properties. And our medicine people and healers that are trained in, in healing practices in the traditional ways from an indigenous perspective, that's how they are trained. That's how they learn about the medicine and the medicines and then how to use those medicines. So I shared that with them at the time and uh, then they had ended up having these other meetings and they invited us to another meeting in actually Venezuela and for to meet with people from Central, healers and medicine people from Central and South America. And at that meeting, we kept questioning them as to, you know, why is it uh, that you were so concerned and interested at this moment in our medicines? And uh, finally, they, we got the answer, and they, I guess they realized we were coming to realize what they were doing. But it, it turned out that it was these, this project was actually sponsored by the pharmaceutical companies. And this was prior to the pharmaceutical companies getting so heavily invested in producing uh, and selling uh, natural medicines. Uh, and that's what happened. They actually were trying to get the information so that they could actually support the pharmaceutical companies in the process of actually getting a hold of indigenous medicines from around the world and marketing them. Uh, it's interesting because subsequently, you know, the governments and the pharmaceutical companies started to um, advocate with the government and uh, an attempt to get the government to create controls over natural medicines, which had never been there before. Uh, why would they do that?
Well, because it's profitable. Because if they have control of those medicines now, and then they also have a legal control of distribution, then it's, of course, incredibly more profitable. But, you know, this kind of history is important to understand if you're going to understand natural medicines. Um, because, again, over time, as this process that I just described to you is taking place, it has come to, you know, the point of where, again, it gives the perception as it's being marketed in, in natural medicines in the ways they are, as if they are new medicines, and as if, you know, there's often little or no recognition of where those medicines indeed have come from, and where the knowledge of the medicine has come from, and where the understanding of the practice has come from. Um, and as it's being marketed now, you know, it's often being marketed from a Euro-Western perspective of knowledge, not from an Indigenous perspective. So it's being marketed with the con concept of, you know, how all other medicines from a Euro-Western perspective are used and marketed. But it doesn't contain, you know, the pieces I told you about, which have to do with, for example, the the mental, physical, and the, or mental, emotional, and, and spiritual elements of those medicines. So, you know, that's the, the challenge that we have today is to be able to uh, to actually understand, you know, that history and where the medicines come from, understand them holistically, understand how to use them in a, in a appropriate and and in uh, good ways, and it, it requires that kind of learning to be able to be able to do that to uh, to understand and then out of that understanding to be uh, more respectful of where that, that, that knowledge has come from and how it's come to us. I, and Sarah and I have had these discussions before and about um, how uh, that we can get so far off track of, of you know, understanding and appreciating and being respectful of where the, these not this knowledge comes from. Because the first experience that we had together when she went to look at, at uh, the potential to join the naturopathic college, CCNM in Toronto. We went to a, a presentation and during the presentation, fire alarm went off and we had to go out into the courtyard. And in the courtyard, they have a lovely area where they have uh, many medicines that they're a herbal garden that they have. And in that area was a, a statue or a bust. And I I was curious about it. I went and looked at it, and as I'm reading the plaque that was there, it was a plaque uh, from the pharmaceutical company that was giving recognition to Marie Case, who was a nurse who actually had the medicine of Essiac, which is marketed by them, by that company as Essiac. And if you don't know that medicine, it's a cancer treatment medicine that actually, if they used the term they created there, labeled it Essiac because it spells case backwards. Marie Case's last name. and But they were honoring her and acknowledging her for sharing in that medicine and bringing that medicine to the knowledge of non-Indigenous people. But what they didn't indicate was that that knowledge was shared to her from Indigenous medicine people, Indigenous healers. That that medicine is a medicine that comes from our territory here. And that those medicine people, you know, had at one point in time shared that with Marie Case because she was a nurse treating patients in the region. And she had some indigenous uh, patients, and those indigenous patients, she, they had, some of them had been doing very well beyond what she had ever anticipated with the type of treatment that she was able to provide. And so, 
she started asking questions and as she asked she discovered that they were commonly using this indigenous medicine and over time she then learned about the medicine had it shared with her and she used it in her practice um, and then she advocated with the physicians at the time that this was something that they should look into um, but she of course the time was not right or ready for anyone to listen to what she had to share and so there's a lot of skepticism and ultimately she you know she just continued to practice as she did and there was not a great deal made of it until this company came along and uh, decided that they would market it with her and um, yeah so here we come you know around to this uh, the creation of CCNM and the recognition of Marie Case and no knowledge, no recognition of the knowledge of this medicine and where it came from, other than from Marie Case. So my argument, once again, would be that it's important to be respectful and to acknowledge where the knowledge comes from. Um, and it is a knowledge that is actually tied to all of us, to all of humans. We, you know, we are all indigenous. We all come from one place on Mother Earth, on Akikwe. We all have our place where we've come from. So we are connected to Mother Earth, all of us, which connects us to each other. And that is truly indigenous knowledge and indigenous worldview. So we need to, you know, respect our ancestors and respect the knowledge that they have passed on to us. If we are going to, I think, be good practitioners, good helpers and healers, meaning specifically that those of us who commit ourselves to helping others to live long and good lives, that we, uh, we act in good ways to uh, acknowledge and respect our ancestors and what they've passed on to us. Thank you for that, Dad. That's a really good place, I think, to start to at least wrap up for today because, like Dad said, there's so many other places we could go with that. Are there any final thoughts or suggestions that you would make for at least for today in terms of our what our listeners could do taking this information in and taking next steps for themselves well other than perhaps you know if they find that these ideas are engaging for them and something they want to explore more that they continue to listen on and that you know you find the ways in which you can interact you know with the listeners to provide further information to them as they might reflect on these ideas and want to know more, that you'll have a way to create continued learning by uh, giving them the ability to converse about this and learn more from each other. I think that's that would be a, a good thought to carry forward. Well, miigwech nawa, Dad, for your, for your knowledge and your, your stories and, and sharing with us today. And as I said, that will wrap us up for today, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more from me and probably directly from Dr. Connors in the future. But for now, I hope you guys can take some, some of the information in and really start to mull it over and think about what this means for us and what this means going forward. And I can promise you it won't be the last time that we have conversations like this. So take care, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Nyawa, for listening to Two-Eyed Seeing. 
leave me a comment, and if you feel called to, please leave a review in iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. If you have questions about the episode or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me at www.sarahconnorsnd.com.